How are you guys? You guys doing well? Awesome. Um, uh, my name is Spencer, by the way. Hi. Um, part of Cornerstone for a long time, uh, last, I don't know, 14, 15 years. I don't know if um, you guys know this or not, but probably 14 years ago, we're finishing up our 14th year, um, Cornerstone, yeah, years ago, uh, in an effort to really see the gospel go forward. Um, I would say um, God gave the, the leadership at Cornerstone Church at that time a, 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 almost a prophetic vision. I know that sounds weird, but um, the, the leadership at Cornerstone was pretty passionate about seeing the gospel go forward, but they also recognized um, that one of the biggest obstacles preventing the gospel going forward was, was biblical training, um, but biblical training and also uh, debt. Um, the biggest reason that missionaries were being uh, rejected at that time was due to, to college debt. And so um, at that time, like I said, almost 15 years ago, uh, the leadership at Cornerstone decided, hey, we're gonna st- why don't we start a school? Why don't we start um, basically a, 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 a means, provide a means of dealing with that where we can actually provide biblical training that's not going to shackle people with debt. And so 15 years ago, uh, we started uh, what is Eternity Bible College. Uh, about four years ago, uh, we kind of finished the course of uh, kind of accreditation. So we're recognized with like the Department of Education and whatnot. But the thing that's cool about what we're doing over here is um, we're not focusing on just college like credit and getting people to get a bachelor's degree or something. The goal for us is really wanting to equip the church. And so just, just giving you guys a little bit of an update, over the last 15 years, uh, we've had over 1,000 people come through classes. Um, we have over 250 people who are serving vocationally in different churches kind of all over the place. And we have uh, over 50 people who are now serving overseas um, and, and none of those people are carrying any kind of debt at all. Not all of them have degrees. Um, yeah, think about that for a second. Think about that for a second, that they're not shackled with any kind of debt and they're able to actually participate in gospel advancement without that kind of, uh, it'd almost be like um, running a race with a, you know, kind of a, a ball and chain kind of attached to you. None of us want to do that. None of us can be really effective or efficient that way. But uh, yeah, so over the last 15 years, guys, God's doing some really cool things. Uh, we don't often get in front of you guys and share with you guys that, but um, that's just kind of where we are. Um, I've been a part of the school, and I say school, and again, that's a, that's a little bit of a misnomer because most of us think school, oh, I've already done that, or school, that's for you know 18 to 22-year-olds. Guys, the reality for us is most of our uh, people who are taking classes are older um, because people realize, wow, you know what, there's value in actually thinking biblically about everything. And whether I get a degree or not, what I want is I'm really passionate about seeing the gospel go forward, even if I work in banking or even if I work in nursing or whatnot. And maybe I don't get a degree, but I really want to think biblically about things because I'm passionate about... Go- you know, seeing the gospel go forward. And um, anyway, I've been a part since the beginning, probably about three years ago, uh, Josh Walker, who was also part from the beginning, he and I switched roles. And so in the past, I was just one of the guys kind of around Cornerstone, around EBC. Uh, but Josh and I kind of have provided leadership to the school. And a couple years ago, he and I switched roles. So now I get the, the title and really the responsibility of, of saying that I'm in the lead chair. But the reality is Josh and I are still there. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a status update. But thank you guys, because Cornerstone has been involved since the beginning. It has been an integral part in, in seeing what God is doing that way. We don't do a good enough job actually communicating. It's a fascinating thing that the 
probably 250 feet between our office and the, the Cornerstone building is, uh, it creates incredible communication gap. <laughs> and, um, and we'd probably do a better job communicating with other churches than we do with you guys, but thank you guys. Uh, really, really appreciate it because, uh, yeah, I would say there are people who are participating in gospel advancement globally um, all over the world um, because of the sacrifices and the work that you guys are doing to ensure that people can actually get some degree of training uh, without any kind of debt. So thank you guys. Appreciate it a lot. Um, but in that, we also, I deal with a lot of students, you know, and like I said, not all the students are young. Some of them are a little older, but uh, one guy in particular, one of the things that we do is we have all these students, they have to connect with their local church because we really want we think the church is primary, right? So there, this kid's in this church, and what he's doing is, uh, like anything, when we go through life, he starts asking questions, and he goes through this season of, of despair and doubt, and he starts asking questions, and, he's, and he takes it to the church that he's a part of, not Cornerstone, by the way, but he takes it to the church he's a part of, and um, the elders and the pastors in the church go, um, yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't ask those questions. And the student goes, well, I what happens then? What do you do? And um, he was really discouraged from asking questions, voicing some degree of doubt or uncertainty. And, he, and the, the leadership of the church went, yeah, we don't, we don't go there. And so now you have this 25-year-old guy, and he says, married. Um, and he goes, well, do you guys ever go through seasons of despair or doubt and, and the leaders of this church went, um, yeah, we do. He said, well, then what do you do? And leadership of this church said, we fake it. We fake it. So now I have this 25-year-old guy who says, hmm, okay. Um, wow, either the Bible's not sufficient to deal with these questions I have, and the church is fraudulent. Does that make sense to you guys? We have people who are coming with questions, who are coming with doubts, coming with uncertainty, coming with despair. And when the church responds in such a way where they say, yeah, we don't, we don't go there. We don't ask those questions. We just fake it. What, what are we left with? We're left with a, a, somebody who's going, wow, either the Bible's not sufficient to deal with this issue or, or and the church is a bunch of frauds because they're just faking it. Guys, that absolutely breaks my heart. But I don't think that story is unique. I want to contrast that. Um, Probably 10, 15 years ago, there's a guy who, uh, kind of theological nerd world, he was kind of a a big deal. Most people probably have no clue who this guy is. His name was Robert Sosey, Bob Sosey. He taught down at uh, Biola. Uh, Talbot University um, or Talbot Seminary, but he was kind of a theological who's who. He was kind of a hero for a lot of guys uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, or kind of through the 80s and into the 90s. Um, So you have this theological giant comes into class one day, and a friend of mine's there. So you have this guy who's written prolifically. He's pastored tons of churches. He's kind of a big deal when it comes to theological circles. He walks into class one day with these aspiring pastors and church leaders, and he looks at him and he says, do any of you guys ever doubt this? Do you ever just have any questions about this? 
Now, now put yourself in the position of a student. You have your professor walk in and there's like this theological hero and he's asking you that question. I know for me, I'd go, uh, what kind of trick question is this? And I'd sit quietly, right? Um, I don't know how you guys would be, but uh, my friend is in the room and he's sitting just absolutely quiet. And he's like, I don't know how to respond right now. And the professor, this guy, Bob Sosi, he takes his Bible and he tosses it on the table and he goes, huh, I guess I'm the only one who questions it which then it opens up this dialogue with these 15 to 20 students, all aspiring church leaders, where they start just being honest about questions and doubts and uncertainties and despair. As what happened in contrast between the fake it till you make it guy and a, a pretty renowned church leader who says, hey guys, let's, let's talk about this. What's the difference besides the obvious? One's dealing with the issue and one's avoiding the issue. What are the implications of each? And this is kind of a, uh, you guys have to throw some answers at me here because I can actually just make up things, which is, I always entertain myself, which is fine. I'm not sure how valuable it is for you guys, but hey, it'll entertain me. But what are the, what are the primary differences here? Irony, what does that mean though? Because that's, that's, Okay. Okay. Yeah, we have the opportunity to sharpen one another. What else? Are, what are some implications here of this? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. One actually equips you to recognize that. Yeah. Wow. Other people might have doubts as well. Yeah. What else, guys? Yeah, maybe God isn't big enough or the Bible isn't big enough to handle doubt, so it only, doubt leads to more doubt. Does that make sense to you guys? Going, guys, it's just, it's one of those things. We have to actually start thinking through this from an, imp, like the implication side of things. And um, yeah, I just don't think it's something we talk about enough. I don't think it's something we talk about, but we have to, because if we don't talk about it, unfortunately, I think about it this way, um, I don't know if you guys do the social media thing or not. Um, I, I, I'm not there too much. Um, I, I check it periodically just to see kind of what's going on with uh, different students or f- uh, family members or whatnot. But, but for the most part, I don't, I'm not actively engaged and involved that way. But if I were, you know, I, I kind of thought about doing this kind of social experiment where, where I would actually be posting on social media, but not posting all the happy good stuff, right? Of going, hey, you know what? My wife and I just got in a fight. Hey, my, my kids just responded in a way that's totally inappropriate. And I lashed out in so much vitriol and anger, you know, and let, hey, let's, let's take that picture. Let's post that image, you know? Let's, uh, let's, let's show the picture of my, my daughter's hair is kind of all disheveled and stuff because they're just fighting there. I haven't seen too many posts like that, you know? But uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of our our walks with Jesus are the same way, where, where we take the Facebook approach, where we, we post the really happy good stuff, and those doubts, uncertainties, kind of that spiritual sense of being disheveled or uncertain or despair, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't post that publicly. We don't know how to deal with that. And, and what happens is we end up in a church body like this, where unfortunately, I think we end up in this category over here, where we're left dealing with doubt, despair, and uncertainty, we're left dealing with that uh, on our own, which is an incredibly dangerous place to be, or we're doing inadvertently the same thing that the leadership of that other church did, which is, hey, you know what? We're not gonna talk about it, which, which by default, what we're modeling for other people in the church is, wow, the Bible's not big enough to deal with some of these issues that I'm wrestling with. Or 
we're, what we're modeling for people is that we're, we're fake, you know, that, that we actually aren't, aren't honest with the, the reality of things. Um, because if you guys are anything like me, if you guys are anything like me at all, if you're anything like, like people throughout church history, you've gone through incredibly significant seasons of despair and doubt and uncertainty. And if you haven't, you will. And so what do we do with that? And so I just want to take a couple minutes today and just go, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to break from Revelation, and we're just going to talk through something just that, that I think is very prominent throughout Scripture. Uh, we certainly see it throughout the Psalms, and that is this idea of despair and doubt um, because it's real, and I don't think we talk about it enough. So we're just going to take a little bit of time and try to normalize this because if we avoid it, we end up over here. But if we act like this, what I would say is a pretty wise wise man, um, if we normalize it and we put it on the table, we start to go, oh, wow, not only are we not alone, God's actually big enough to deal with it. I'm not going to scare God off, and I'm really not going to scare you know, God's people off. And so let's actually have the conversation then. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Kind of, sort of? All right, so if you guys have a Bible, why don't you grab it and uh, open it up to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. If you don't have a Bible, um, some guys are cruising around and you can just raise a Bible, they'll throw it at you. Don't worry though, they're not very good aim, so you'll be safe. They'll just land near you. I don't know, Chris, you got pretty good, yeah. All right, Psalm 13, David, uh, David writing this. How long, O Lord? I almost want to just stop there and go, you guys ever been in one of those seasons of just going, God, how long? How long? Um, guys, David, David going here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Guys, what you'll see in Psalm 13 is it's really broken into to thirds. You have this uh, first third, which is verses one and two, which is kind of that how long section. It's the lament. It's this idea of, of David just crying out in anguish and just going, oh my goodness, God, what's going on? And this is where you really see his despair. Uh, you see the, the circumstance and the situation that he's in where he's just in despair, where he's just questioning God. And um, guys, this is, this is pretty honest about things. But before we jump into David, um, just let me just ask you guys a question. Um, why do you think we avoid the topic? Before, before we jump in and look at how David, David's dealing with it, I, I was telling you about why we need to deal with it, but why do you think we avoid this topic of despair and doubt? Okay, safe face. Yeah, we want to protect our reputation a little bit. Yeah, pride. Somebody said it's messy, which... There's so many layers to that statement. Um, because guys, if, if, I, if I expose doubt and uncertainty to you, my goodness, I'm just opening up a can that is so messy. And now what does that actually obligate you guys to do if you care about me even a little bit? Say it again? Respond. Yeah, to respond somehow, which that, guys, if things are nice and tidy, my response can be relatively efficient. Right? If something is messy and I've got stuff going all over the place, as if all of a sudden, if I, if I open up some things that are really messy, 
all of a sudden, man, that takes time and energy and effort. And I'll be honest with you guys, sometimes I don't want to deal with the mess. I just like to, to deal efficiently with things. And so let me just keep things nice and tidy. And so, man, you know what? Confession is good as long as it's neat. Because then I can help you deal with it and you can help me deal with it. So, so let's, let's keep confession nice and tidy. Does that make sense to you guys? And so we learn how to confess struggle or doubt or uncertainty, but we keep it nice and tidy and neat so we can deal with things efficiently because we don't like the mess. Someone else said uh, just issues of pride. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to... We don't want to talk about doubt and uncertainty and despair because, yeah, we're trying to save face because of our pride and whatnot. What else, guys? Yeah, somehow we've created this, this dichotomy, this, this, uh, this division in thinking that joy and doubt are exclusive from each other. And, and, and unfortunately, I think what that exposes is that we have a real misunderstanding of joy, of going, we've, we've equated joy with happiness instead of uh, something else maybe. But yeah, we, we all of a sudden we go, well, we're, this is what God's called us to, and so we don't want to talk about something if we're not there yet, which, guys, we just, we just have to get rid of all that and just go, okay, let, let's just jump in with both feet and just go, hey, what does David do? Because this is where David is. Um, David's, say again? Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We're called to have, we're called to have faith, and that's a good thing. Sometimes it's blind faith. Sometimes it's informed faith. Absolutely. And then guys, what we need to realize, though, is that in the midst of a call to have faith, because Scripture does call us to have faith, sometimes we still struggle with unbelief, Right? And those are not mutually exclusive. So what do we do in those seasons? And that's where I want to just go to David and go, what does David do? Because David's in the midst of it. And where he starts, guys, is in verse 1 of chapter 13 of Psalms. How long, O God? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? And it's this, it's the thing that's, that's fascinating. If you look through Psalm 13, there's nothing about Psalm 13 that provides a context for David's life. Um, we don't get the specifics. We don't. Um, it, it could be any number of things in David's life. It could be the fact that, wow, you know what? David, David was promised the kingdom when he was a teen. And, and, and man, over the years, because that doesn't get realized for years. And so maybe it's a, an unfulfilled promise. Uh, maybe it's, it's the fact that his family is in disarray because as you read through David's life, you realize, wow, his family's a mess. And, and maybe that's the circumstance that David is, is lamenting. Um, maybe it's the reality that Saul is chasing him, you know, and, and threatening his very life. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, uh, David's friends at some point in his life have abandoned him and turn on him. Um, but guys, the, the reality is we don't know. There's nothing here that indicates when this was written in David's life. And there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty in that ambiguity that we don't know what's going on. And so it almost, it gives us an opportunity to, to jump into that and go, wow, you know what? Whatever was going on in David's life, and there was a whole litany of things that it could have been. Um, guys, there's a, there's a beauty for us as well to go, to jump into that, how long, oh God, how long am I going to be in this situation? How long am I going to be in this? Have you forgotten me? 
Guys, the reality is all of us have been in situations like this. And, and it may not be, you know, the, the exact same as David because we don't know the exact. But maybe you're wrestling through with a, a loss of a job. Maybe you're wrestling like David with, with family issues and, you, and you've got some family drama that you're going, my goodness, God, how long do we have to deal with this? Or maybe like David, you've got some um, marital discord, because David certainly had that going. Um, maybe David, David also had discord with his kids. Um, David had relational issues with friends who abandoned him. Um, maybe it's health-related issues. How long, oh God, are you going to just, have you forgotten me? How long? And, and it's just you're in a state of, of anguish and lament and despair, has anybody ever, I mean, whether it's show of hands or whether it's just kind of, kind of more hypothetical, guys, my guess is that most of us have been in this kind of a situation where we are just lamenting and we're overwhelmed and we're burdened with the realities of life. And you just go, how long do I have to stay in this state? It just kind of stinks or whatever other word you want to use to articulate real disappointment and discouragement there. But the circumstance is just kind of not very good. Um, and and not, not very good. The circumstance just isn't good at all. And what do we see? David jump in and he goes, okay, God, how long will I be forgotten? And then he turns the corner and he goes, okay, God, how long will you hide your face from me? Okay, now we're jumping into the big picture. The big umbrella is, hey, God, how long have I, am I going to stay in this state? And then if we've been in that state of, of despair for, for you know, any of us, we, we know that at some point, it's, it's not un, uncommon for maybe us to go, God, have you forgotten me? God, how, how, long, how long are you going to turn your face from me? How long have I lost your blessing? Because when you're in a state of despair, when you're in one of those circumstances where the circumstances of life are just pressing down on you, my goodness, God, where did you go? What did I do? Do you even remember me? And that's where David is. I don't know you guys all, but I know some of you. You guys, some of you know me. Guys, I have been here. I know some of you have been here. This is not uncommon, but are we honest about it? Where you look and you go, God, where are you right now? Have you forgotten me? God, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you called me to this, but, but what happened? Because what's fascinating, guys, is as you look through Psalm 13, what's crazy as you look at it, it doesn't seem to be sin-related. Sometimes we look at circumstances in life and situations are hard and difficult because of sin, and it's like, well, yeah, circumstances are difficult because you made some really bad decisions. I mean, that, that shouldn't surprise us, right? This doesn't seem to be the, the, the case with sin at all. There's, there's no mention of sin. There's no mention of repentance. This is just one of those things. You are in a circumstance of life that is just heavy, and it's causing despair. And David's saying, God, have you forgotten me? And if you stay in that state for too much longer, or even kind of parallel with that, it's also not uncommon to get to that point of, of if you look at verse 2, how long, O oh God? Are you going to leave me in this state of being in my own head, where I'm giving myself counsel? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? 
and have sorrow in my heart all the day. Guys, what's... This idea of how long will I... Sorry. How long will you hide your face from me? That's the, the first part. How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Counsel in my own soul. Guys, isolated, and you start... I don't know, maybe uh, you guys heard this word before, getting in your own head. Um, Guys, when we get overwhelmed and we start despairing, not uncommon, we isolate and we start getting in our own head. We start providing counsel to ourselves. Is that, what does it say in in Psalm uh, 13.2 there? What happens as a result? I, I have anguish, I'm unsettled. David says, man, how long am I going to stay in this state where I'm providing counsel to myself, I'm somewhat isolated, and, and I am unsettled now? And I get to this point of being unsettled, and it's not just a little bit, but I'm unsettled 24-7. I'm unsettled all the day. Well, guys, because sometimes we get to those points of, of despair where we just realize, oh my goodness, the circumstances of life, not only am I questioning whether God has abandoned me, I'm stuck in my own head and now I start to doubt, and I start to question, and I start to provide counsel to myself, and that's a dangerous place for any of us to be because, yeah, that's just, I don't know about you guys, I'd start getting in my own head, and that's not a great place. Um, And then in, in conjunction with that even, where does David go? God, have you abandoned me? How long? How long am I going to be stuck in my own head? Because that leads to all kinds of doubt and uncertainty. And then how long are my enemies going to triumph over me? How long are my enemies going to be exalting? Because when we're in a state of despair, guys, it's, it's not a stretch to start comparing yourself to others. And you start looking out and going, God, I'm here. Have you abandoned me? I look out and I see all these people basically having it good. Wow. I look... I look across the landscape of the country, I look across the landscape of Simi Valley, and I go, man, those, those guys have it going. How, how come they get it and, I, and I'm struggling? How come they've got a, a good family or a good job or, or whatever and, and I'm, I'm struggling? How come they have good health and I don't? How come they have, and, and God, how long do I have to sit and watch these people who are standing in opposition to you seemingly have it good? How long, God, do we have to stay in it? Guys, and this is where David is. David's, we don't know the circumstance, but we just realize David's in a spot where he is in despair, he's in anguish. That's led him to a place of doubt. He's doubting God, he's doubting God's existence, he's doubting God's goodness, he's doubting, um, he's in his own head, and he's questioning now in light of what everybody else is going on around him. You just go, man, I don't know if that's real for you guys, but that's pretty raw. And that's where David is. And what's, what's absolutely amazing is how David, in the midst of that, how he responds. If you get to verse three, guys, there's, there's a couple of imperatives. Imperatives are, are almost demands that are made. David, in the midst of that state, he says, God, look at me. God, consider me, answer me, revive me, give me life. Because if I continue on in the state, I'm I'm about to die. 
And, and he starts, he, he's making these demands of God. And the idea here, guys, is he's, he's looking at God and he's, God, you, you've got to come through. Because if you don't come through, guys, I'm going to continue on in a state of being shaken. You see that at the end of verse 4. God, if you don't come through, I'm going to die. And then my enemies will rejoice. And God, that's going to make you look bad. See, what's fascinating here, guys, is David is not, he's not crying out to God in an effort to alleviate his circumstance. God, will you deliver me so that I can be happy and comfortable? David's fear here is, God, if I stay in this state, my enemies will rejoice. If I stay in a state of uncertainty, if I stay in this state of despair where I'm uncertain and questioning everything, my enemies are going to rejoice. Why? Because, God, I'm unstable or I'm dead, and that will make you look bad because David has absolutely yoked himself to God. He was God's uh, anointed future king. He was God's guy. He had established a covenant relationship with God and saying, hey, you're going to, through your line is going to be my forever king. And David had, had yoked himself to God. And so if, if David goes poorly, that makes God look bad. And so David comes before God confidently and says, God, if you don't come through here, God, that's going to make you look bad. And as a, as a result of that, guys, David makes some bold requests. God, answer me. God, look at me. And guys, what's fascinating is when we get in the midst of the crap of life, as if we yoke ourselves to God and are about God's business and what God is about, we can, we can, we can have that same kind of confidence, right? God, look at me. God, deliver me. God, do this for your sake. But we can't expect to have that kind of confidence and make those kind of confident, you know, um, assertions if, if we're trying to push our own agenda. That doesn't work. It's like this, I don't know, um, a number of years ago, was just in a, in a real bad spot in life. And um, basically, the, the realities of life, um, my wife wasn't in great health. Uh, stuff at the, the, the school over here wasn't all that great. Um, and so there's, there's, there's added fi- uh, family burden because my wife's health wasn't great. And so now I'm trying to be like, Hey, let me, let me be the super husband and super dad and trying to do everything here. Stuff at the school's not great. And so now there's financial burden. And so we're trying to, I'm trying to do it all, right? And the reality is I'm trying to manufacture results on this side. I'm trying to be, uh, kind of the super husband, super dad on this side. And the reality is everything is going sideways because I'm trying to do it all. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Getting to a point, circumstantially, where I'm, I'm in a similar spot to David, where I go, God, how long? God, have you forgotten me? I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be faithful to what I feel like you've called us to over here at the school. God, where are you? Are you even real? It seems like you've abandoned me. What's going on? And yes, even to the point despairing of life. And I had a friend of mine come to me and say, well, let me just ask you a very simple question. 
Are you willing to allow people to help you? What? Wait, what? And he goes, let me just be real honest. He goes, um, you're trying to do it all yourself? And he goes, and you're frankly kind of doing everything pretty, there's other words to use there, but, you know, <laughs> pretty poorly. Wow. Guys, why? Fundamentally, I was crying out to God, but I hadn't yet yielded to doing things God's way. I was trying to do it all on my own, and watch what happens. All of a sudden, I relent, and I, and I, and I relinquish something, and I go, okay, yes, do whatever you want. Because again, I'm at a point of such despair, I basically looked at him and said, I don't care anymore. You do whatever you want. I mean, I'm not even protesting help at this point. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at that point where I just went, I don't care. And he goes, okay. And all of a sudden, guys in the church, people in the church bodies come over and all of a sudden my car gets fixed. All of a sudden there's people who come over and they're, they're taking our kids to different places. And, and now there's somebody who comes over and helps clean the house a little bit. And, and somebody comes over and, and yard work gets done. And, and what's fascinating is where I was trying to do it all and basically doing a pretty poor job at all of it, all of a sudden the church body comes into it my neighbors, extended family, start going, who are all these people that keep coming over and helping? Oh, those are people in the church. Oh, and I start to realize that, wow, when I relinquished trying to do things my way, I let things happen the way God actually calls things to happen, all of a sudden, God is being put on display. Did the circumstances of life change? No, not even a little bit. What changed is I actually relinquished trying to do it my way. I actually went, I don't care anymore. Just, just let the church do what the church is going to do. And when that happened, all of a sudden, things started getting done, and people start asking questions about who God is and why these people are trying to help. And there's an amazing opportunity to put God on display. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? But I can't make this kind of a confident um, request or even, I would even say it's a demand of God. God, look at me, consider me, give me back life, restore me back, but I'm gonna do it my way. See, I, those, those two things, I can't have that kind of confidence in demanding those things of God if I'm unwilling to actually relinquish control and go, okay, I'm not gonna try to do it my way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let God have his, have his way. And when I relinquish control and I actually let God have his way, all of a sudden I can make that kind of a bold assumption upon God. I can make that bold demand upon God. Okay, God, I'm in the midst of a, of a pretty crappy situation. God, I, I've yoked myself to you and doing things your way. God, I know the circumstance might not change, but God, you know what? Yeah. God, put yourself on display here. Guys, I can make that bold demand of God. God, put yourself on display right now in the midst of a pretty pretty crappy situation. In the, in the midst of my unemployment, put yourself on display. Let people see you in the midst of this. Yeah, I, could, I can make that kind of a request. I can make that kind of demand upon God. God, let my neighbors 
see you in the midst of my failing health. Okay. Yeah, because that's something that, that God's about. Does that make sense to you guys? But, but all of a sudden when it's, God, give me my comfort. Well, I can't say, God, give me my comfort when, when I'm actually, what, what it's about is me then. That's not where David is. David says, God, you know what? If you don't come through, you're going to look bad. God, you've got to come through here because I'm more concerned about you than I am about you know, my circumstance here. And, and so David goes there, and it's, it's a pretty encouraging a pretty encouraging response, in all honesty. And then you get to the last two verses, verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because you have dealt bountifully with me. Um, Translations of the Bible are always fun, right? They're all, they're all a little different. I don't know what translations. I just read the ESV. Um, I would encourage you guys, read, read broadly, different translations, because you're going to see um, every translation has a degree of like interpretation about it. Does that make sense to you guys? Um, and I would encourage you guys to read broadly, um, because sometimes you look and you go, wow, you know what? Uh, there's, a, there's some nuance that might be a little bit miss, you know, uh, missing in this translation that is, is, is a little bit more emphasized over here. Um, in verse 13, in, in, uh, in chapter, chapter 13, uh, verse 4, uh, or 5, sorry, um, when David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love, I have trusted in your faithfulness is, a, is what another translation would say. And, and I, 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 the idea here is this, I don't know if you guys remember um, back last summer when we were preaching through Ruth, this idea of hesed, this idea of covenant faithfulness. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. Um, that's the word here. God, I have trusted in your covenant faithfulness. That, that's the idea. It's the word hesed. And so it's a translation. And we don't have an English equivalent, so we kind of do the best we can. And if you guys are bilingual, you understand some of the difficulties sometimes of, tra- of translation. Um, but guys, it's this idea of David saying, God, I've trusted in your covenant faithfulness. So in the midst of the despair, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the uncertainty, I'm not abandoning God. I still know God's real. God, and I've trusted in your covenant faithfulness. I don't trust in my circumstance. I don't trust in myself. What I trust is in the fact that that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to his covenants. And for David, what did God promise to David at this point? God had promised him um, uh, descendants. God had promised him the throne. God had promised him, right? God had promised David uh, a myriad of things. And David's saying, God, I'm I'm trusting you on this. I'm I'm trusting that you are faithful to what you have promised. And in like fashion, I think we, are, we, we, can, we can respond similarly. God, when we're in the midst of despair, we're in the midst of turmoil, when we're in the midst of angst in life, God, I've trusted in your covenant faithfulness. And what are the things that God has promised to us as new covenant believers? Because now, all of a sudden, we are in a different, uh, cov- you know, different time um, because now in the new covenant, 
after the resurrection, which we celebrated last week, the, the ushering in of this new covenant, what are things that we as new covenant believers have been promised that we can actually put our stake in here and go, God, I have believed in your covenant faithfulness, but what are the things that God has promised to us as new covenant believers? This is, what are some, what's that? Okay, everlasting life, what else? Okay, what are the things in the, as new covenant believers, someone said peace, um, but why? What's the basis of that peace? The Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, guys, the Holy Spirit is now indwelling not just me as an individual, but all of us. All of a sudden, there is a corporate reality that not just me having the Holy Spirit, but, but wow, the church, if, if you are a redeemed image bearer of God, if you are someone who is actually a follower of Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit, and now there's something that actually, there's a corporate identity that, yeah, there's a, there's a y'all about it or even all y'all, if you want to really go that way. But going, guys, yeah, there's this, the Holy Spirit indwelling the church, but not, not just corporately, but each of us individually, but unifying us together. Absolutely, there's a, there's a new covenant reality to this. What else? No longer do we have what? A heart of stone, but we now have a heart of flesh. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, guys, we have a new heart now, for the first time, guys, we have the ability to fundamentally think differently. We can approach life and life circumstances differently. Why? Because of this new covenant reality of a new heart. So yeah, we have a new heart. We have a new identity, not just as ourselves, but as a part of the body. We have this idea of access to God in a way, um, yeah, as we interact with each other. Now, Guys, God has never, God's, God's plans never changed. From the beginning, God wanted himself to be put on display. Sin makes that difficult. We get glimpses of how God uses his people to put himself on display. But now as this new covenant people, guys, we have, a, we have an opportunity to, to live and function and process life differently. Does that make sense to you guys? And so all of a sudden, we can look and go, wow, the circumstances of life are really pretty wretched wow, I'm in this state of despair. Uh, I'm, I'm really uncertain about things. But I'm not alone because there's other spirit-filled people. Wow, we can think differently about circumstances. Why? Because I have a new heart. I don't have a heart of stone anymore. Now I have a heart of flesh. And, and because of the covenant faithfulness of God, what does David say he does? He has, yeah, now no, watch this. This is where, again, I would encourage you guys to read, read some different translations because it's just really good and you pick up different nuance and emphases. But guys, it's, there's a, I will rejoice right now in my heart because of your covenant faithfulness. And I will sing when you vindicate me. This future reality. David's circumstances don't change. David's still in the midst of the crap of life. His circumstances don't change. But what happens is he says, you know what? I remember your covenants, and because of your faithfulness, I will rejoice. And when you vindicate me, then I'll actually sing about it. 
It's not like things get nice and tidy for David right here. There's a future hope that David is, is holding on to and saying, God, you've got to come through here because of your reputation and your name. And God, I do remember these covenant promises. God, you have indwelt me with the Holy Spirit. You have promised to put yourself on display. You haven't left me alone because there's other spirit-filled people here. God, you are in the business of, of making your name known. And when you vindicate me, then I'll rejoice. And because I'm confident of that, God, I'll, I'll rejoice in my heart right now. There's a, there's a degree of, it, it'll, it'll settle my heart right now, but it doesn't change my circumstances. And guys, sometimes we allow our circumstances to define us. And, and, and I don't want to make light of this, guys. Our circumstances are real. Sometimes we despair. Sometimes we're in the midst of the garbage of life, and it's just hard. Sometimes that causes us to doubt. It causes us to be unsettled, and um, and that's and that's real. Um, I don't think we should ever shy away from that, um, because for David, he didn't. Uh, I want you to go back all the way to verse one of Psalm thirteen. What's the way this psalm is introduced? Psalm of David to the, to the choir master. What does that mean, to the choir master? I mean, just this is kind of one of those things of going, yeah, what, what, was, what, what's this mean? What are the implications of that? To the choir master. What were they supposed to do with this psalm? Sing it. Wait. You want me to actually take my doubt and my despair, and you want me to put that out publicly? Yeah, it's exactly what David's saying. Hey, take this before the assembly, before the body, and deal with it publicly. Put it out in front of people. What? No, 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 you don't understand. Like, I need to preserve my reputation People think that I've got my life together. I don't want them to realize that I'm despairing of life right now. I don't want them to realize that I'm questioning or I'm doubting. But guys, watch this. Um, I would encourage you at some point, jump to 2 Corinthians at some point. Guys, 2 Corinthians is amazing. Um, Paul in chapter one uh, in 2 Corinthians basically says, hey, I want you guys to know that the situation and circumstances of life are so hard right now for me that I'm despairing of life. I don't even want to be alive right now. That's how bad it is. Then you get to verse uh, chapter three. In, in chapter, the end of chapter two, the beginning of chapter three, he starts saying, but because of the new covenant, because of the new covenant, I'm going to actually interpret the situation of life differently. Circumstances are still hard. I'm despairing of life. I get to chapter three, but because of the new covenant, then I get to chapter four, and he says, I'm going to go through and suffer differently. Because in the midst of my suffering, there's a unique way of putting God on display or making God manifest, making God known because, wow, I suffer differently. And then you get to the end of chapter four, and he says, um, man, you know what? I was, I was knocked down. I was crushed, but not overwhelmed. I was 
you know, knocked down, but not knocked out. You know, I mean, he just kind of goes through and it's like five or six different things that are escalating, talking about difficulty and circumstance. But he says, you know what? But because of the new covenant, I I go through those things, those times where I'm despairing of life. I go through those differently. Going, guys, we don't have to try to go through this on our own. We go through these times of struggle and these times of despair differently than others. Because if we realize what God has called us to as image bearers, that we're to put God on display and make God known, as one of the ways we do that is how we go through difficulty, how we go through despair, and do we do that differently than our non-believing friends? Yeah, you know what? I do that collectively with friends of mine. Wait, you do what? Why? Because then they actually have opportunity to help. They actually have an opportunity to bear one another's burdens. Wow, they can actually speak truth into my life. Wait, what? Because that fundamentally just shifts the whole discussion when we engage with a non-believing world. The way we go through doubt and despair, we do it differently. We see that in in 2 Corinthians. But guys, just we, we need to... We need to just take a moment and just go, man, it's just normal. Let's normalize despair and doubt and uncertainty. We're all there. It's not good, but it's real. So what do we do with that? Okay, when we're in the midst of it, guys, I think we can follow a a very similar template to, to where David did. But what happens when you're not in that season of doubt? Because the, the reality is that's not a state that we're all in perpetually. But how many of you guys, now this is a little safer, right? Um, how many of you guys know somebody who's gone through that? <laughs> you have a friend, right? Guys, you know, you have a friend who's gone through that. Look at Jude, the book of Jude. That's way in the back of the New Testament, by the way. Most of us don't spend a lot of time reading Jude. Jude chapter 22. Or there's only one chapter, sorry. Jude verse 22, Sorry. I was going to say, if you, if you look for Jude chapter 22, you're going to be looking for a while. Um, yeah, guys, Jude uh, verse 22. Somebody read that for me. Be merciful to those who doubt. Guys, what's funny about this is that word merciful, it's the same root as that idea of hesed. Guys, it's, it's anchored in the same root. Extend God's covenant faithfulness to those who doubt. Guys, don't avoid it. Don't tell people to fake it. Don't tell them to deny it. Don't discourage people from asking difficult questions and lamenting in the midst of difficulty. No, when we have opportunity to walk with people who are in a season of doubt and despair, be merciful to them. Allow them to ask the questions. That EBC student I was telling you about, I looked at him and said, man, I said, you don't, you don't have to fake it. I said, lean into your doubts. The, the biblical story is big enough to deal with it. Lean into them. Lean into relationships where people are going to actually provide those stabilizing points for you. I I know you're questioning everything right now. That's okay. Hang out with this guy and this guy and this guy and bring those doubts to the table. 
Why? Because the God's, we don't have to be afraid of it. God's story is big enough. As in, when we start normalizing it, we start extending mercy to those people who are in seasons of despair and doubt and uncertainty, as even that is fulfilling this new covenant reality of us functioning as a body, us functioning as covenant people of God, going, what does it look like to remind each other, to bear one another's burdens, to deal mercifully with those who are in these seasons of doubt? Yeah, guys, don't be a jerk about it. You know, don't, we were talking earlier, why don't we, why don't we talk about these things? Because it's messy. Guys, dealing mercifully with somebody isn't trying to deal efficiently with somebody. It might require you to take time. If all of a sudden you see me on your doorstep and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going, man, you know what? I'm just in a season of just the garbage of life and I'm questioning everything. <clears throat> Taking the approach of going, hey, take two verses and call me in the morning probably isn't dealing mercifully with me in a season of doubt. But actually going, man, you know what? Let's spend some significant time together. And it, and it might not just be with you, but maybe with, the, you know, hey, you and then someone else and then someone else and coming back to you and, and going, what does it look like to actually engage? Because it takes a commitment of time to walk with people through these seasons of messiness, but deal mercifully with them. But guys, what we have to do is when we hit a season of doubt and uncertainty, when you're the one who's doubting, guys, <laughs> don't shy away from it, don't fake it, and seasons of doubt, and hear this, seasons of doubt do not give license for disobedience. Press into it. And I know those things seem like they're contrary to each other, but seasons of uncertainty and doubt and discouragement are not licensed for disobedience. Going, no, 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 cry out to God. Make demands of God. God, you've got to come through here because if not, you won't look good. God, I want to do things your way, even though I don't even know if I believe your way. God, okay, um, man, I want to interact with people. I don't want to isolate myself. Yeah, we can't, we, can't, we can't disobey. And then if you're in a season where you're not the one doubting, but you're the one who's got things, you know, you're in a good spot, man, deal mercifully with those who are doubting. But guys, deal publicly with it. Let's, let's actually talk about this stuff because it's real for all of us. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Let me pray real quick, and uh, Billy and, and, and the folks will come up here. Jesus, thank you for being a God who loves us immensely. God, I don't want to seem like this is a trite, trivial formula for dealing with uh, difficulty or uncertainty. God, life is messy. Life is hard. Life causes so many of us to despair. God, may we, in the midst of all of that, Remember who you are, what you've called us to, that you've not called us to live life alone, but you've called us to actually practice the one another's, and may we take that seriously. So God, thanks. I pray that you be honored through our lives. In your name, amen.